Welcome to OZ News Hour. I'm Andy Hagens here with Jimmy Atkinson. Today is January 2nd, 2024, and we are covering the most important stories in the world of opportunity zones. We're talking about opportunity zones. We're talking about opportunity zones. Jimmy. Happy New Year, man. You came prepared today. Andy, Happy New Year, pal. Did you not get your hats and glasses? It's it's New Year's Day, man, or it's the day after New Year's anyway. I'm I'm fired up for 2024. We're going to make it the best year ever for Opportunity Zones, if you ask me. Well, where's you got my for party? today, Andy? Where's my party favors? Yours look great, man. You didn't send me any. I'm They're at the corporate yeah. office. I guess you didn't pick them up. <laughs> Did you stay up late? Did you watch the ball drop? I did not stay up late. My wife and I were in bed shortly after 11 p.m. That's about as much as we could stomach. And that we were only up that late because the baby kept us up. <laughs> I was going to say that's life with the newborn. You sleep right. when you can sleep, right? That's right. Well, what do you think, big picture, before we dive into the first story, is 2024, what, what kind of year is it going to be in the world of Opportunity Zones? Is it a transitional year? Is it going to be a revolutionary year? Is it going to be the year where the program gets extended? What, what do you think? Big picture. Uh, I'm hopeful. I'm cautiously optimistic that it's the year it gets extended. But uh, realistically, I kind of think the ship has sailed on uh, the legislation going into effect and extending opportunity zones. Probably that's going to get pushed back to uh, 2025 now at this point. There's still a window of opportunity where something could happen here uh, in the first few months of the year prior to April, but ew, we're kind of kind of kind of gearing up for an election year here. And it's really hard to get bipartisan um, anything bipartisan done in Congress in, in a presidential election year. So, I, you know, if, if if I'm being realistic, I'm thinking at this point, it's looking like toward the end of 2025 is when a lot of this stuff is going to have to happen. I would say overall, it is a pivotal year for Opportunity Zones. Uh, just because we had a massive year for capital gains last year, despite mm. um, economic uncertainty, high interest rates, despite negative investor sentiment, the S&P 500 hit new highs or is close to new highs. Um, right. The Dow hit new highs or is very close to new highs. I mean, the stock market was way up last year. There's got to be some capital gains locked away in the stock market. I know transaction volume is down on the M&A side and on the real estate side, but if you're a stock market investor, you got to have some low basis, highly appreciated stock. And if you want to take some chips off the table, I think 2024 might be a good year to do so. And then why not plow some of those gains into opportunity zones, Andy? So I do think it's a pivotal year in that regard, particularly for stock market investors. I like it. So even though things are a little bit quiet on the real estate front, not that quiet, by the way, but a little bit quiet. It could still be a pivotal year because, as you say, there's this um, kind of underreported tailwind of a metric, you know what, ton full of capital gains sitting around, which is great. That's music to the ears, I'm sure, of every OZ sponsor, um, as well as good for investors, right? Because most of us are invested in the stock market. But let me transition us to our first story today. Uh, I think this is a pretty exciting one. I love industrial real estate. I know it's one of the most popular real estate categories that you and I get asked about over and over from our user base, from our newsletter list, also on YouTube. There's a ton of talk about it, which is industrial real estate. And GTIS has announced their third Opportunity Zone investment. We call it Industrial in South Carolina. 
and Jimmy, they're going big, right? So this is a joint venture uh, that is acquiring a 107-acre site located in the I-85 South submarket of Charlotte in Cherokee County, South Carolina. And so the site, uh, it's it's obviously an opportunity zone within the Charlotte MSA, and it's expected to be developed into approximately 850,000 to 930,000 square feet of industrial warehouse space across two phases. Jimmy, that is pretty darn big. They're going big. They are going big. Um, this is a this is the darling sector of the last few years, as uh, Peter Saganic of GTIS Partners, good good friend of mine, likes to say, or he's been telling me that story at least for the past few years, and I believe him. COVID accelerated this demand for this type of real estate, this this logistics industrial warehouse uh, distribution center uh, real estate, with the with the further rise and acceleration of e-commerce, Amazon and all of Amazon's competitors who are shipping globally and domestically within the US, they need a place to store all their stuff. And it's not always at retail centers anymore where you, you need to hold a lot of inventory, but rather at these industrial logistics warehouse facilities that are spread strategically all over the country. GGIS partners their OZ fund is focused on two sectors. One is multifamily and two is this industrial sector. So you're right, Andy, they are going big in industrial. It's the the headline for today's OZ news hour. GTIS goes big with industrial and 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 I don't think anybody's going bigger than GTIS Partners is with this one. Uh, I should disclose by the way that GTIS Partners is a sponsor of OZ Pitch Days and they did participate in our last OZ Pitch Day event if anybody's interested in learning more about that, they can head to ozpitchday.com. I'm pulling it up right now. Um, and GTIS Partners presented this investment opportunity, Sunbelt Residential and Industrial, right here. I'm sharing it on the screen right now. It's uh, one of the larger Opportunity Zone funds in the space. They're, they they raised $630 million with their initial fund a couple of years back. This one focused in the same space in the Sunbelt industrial and residential multi-asset portfolio of properties in these two booming sectors in the booming area of the country that is the Sun Belt. Uh, and they're raising, I believe it's $500 million or more for this particular fund, Andy. And, and that's how you get uh, 900,000 square feet, right? I mean, these are big, bold projects. I mean, those are big funds, uh, but they're multi-asset funds. So, I mean, it, you know, Sometimes as a real estate investor, you can you can kind of get into the habit of, uh, you know, tr trying to turn over every rock and find the little undiscovered niche or whatever. And it's like, you know what? This just makes sense on an intuitive level. Sunbelt, multifamily, industrial, growth, growth, growth. With an OZ fund, you're locked in for 10 years, right? So you want to be, you're not looking for something that's going to pay off in 12 or 18 months or like a little flip. You need tailwinds, big tailwinds that can drive your investment forward over a long period of time because of that 10 year hold. So it makes sense to me. I remember the the pitch at this last pitch day uh, that I attended, of course, and there was just a lot of interaction uh, and Q&A and engagement with the GTIS presentation. So I know that, again, there's a lot of interest in industrial from our list. So any sponsors or would be sponsors who are thinking about industrial, uh, take it from us. There is a lot of appetite 
for industrial. And I think that's going to remain the case for the foreseeable future. I think that's right, Andy. I think, you know, multifamily and industrial are two sectors that continue to have great tailwinds. I would throw self-storage in there too, as another, another one that has some pretty strong tailwinds at its back. A um, couple of the other bigger sectors, I would say hotel and office, still getting a little bit hammered by uh, by COVID, not quite as badly as they might have been in, in 2020. I, you know, there's like hints that hotel is coming back. Um, office still seems to be struggling a little bit, but, but industrial and multifamily and self-storage, those three sectors I'm pretty bullish on for for the for 2024 in the short term, but then uh, <clears throat> in general, mid to long term over the next 10 plus years, I think there's some great tailwinds for all three of those sectors, Andy. Absolutely. You know, talking about back to the beginning of the show where I asked you what was, uh, you know, the the your theme for the year, you said it could still be a pivotal year. You don't expect the legislation necessarily to get extended this year for various reasons that we can talk about here in a minute. Uh, but it's still going to be a pivotal year. I mean, there are still projects happening. Capital is still being raised. To your point, there's a ton of capital gains still sitting on uh, the sidelines. So there's still a lot going on in the world of opportunity zones, right? Um, for those of us who are involved, it seems like the, the the pace of activity hasn't really slowed down, which is awesome. It's just awesome to be a part of this community. On that note, I think this is good news. Our second story, to me, this is always good news. And we have someone in Washington who is talking about opportunity zones uh, because even you must have if, heard our jingle, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, even if the legislation, <laughs> here's the thing, if and when the legislation gets extended and renewed, which I believe it will, uh, it's not like the, we just get lucky and there's a 48 hour window and suddenly everything goes our way and you know, they, they pass it. It's, it's a coordinated multi-month, multi-year effort that just culminates in the passing of the legislation. And so it's important that along the way we announce when projects are successful. And it's also important that we build up voices in Washington, DC and in states around the nation, expressing support and talking about the victories and the successes that have been achieved by the program. So our second story, tax subcommittee chairman Kelly uh, released this opening statement where he talked about in depth opportunity zones and um really how successful they've been and jimmy if it's okay with you i just i just want to uh read some of his statement right so this is right from representative mike kelly who's a representative from pennsylvania he's chairman of the house ways and means committee's subcommittee on tax and so this was part of his statement that highlighted oz successes so quote to highlight an important part for my constituents in 2017, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act created Opportunity Zones, a bipartisan idea that has transformed communities across the country, especially in my home district in Erie, Pennsylvania. With the right mix of hometown people and business leaders, the Erie Downtown Development Corporation hit the ground running in 2019, breaking ground in what was at the time the poorest zip code in America. By the way, wow, I mean, that, that's great PR for Opportunity Zones to have a success story in the poorest zip code in America, but going on with the quote, opportunity zones like the one in Erie, Pennsylvania have led to unimaginable growth. Opportunity zone investment reached almost 4,000 communities through its first two years. This is nearly half 
of the total number of designated opportunity zone communities across the country. My home state of Pennsylvania saw 132 communities, 44% of the opportunity zones in the state receive investments through the end of 2020. Opportunity zones created growth and opportunity zone investment is going to communities that are substantially more economically distressed than the rest of the country. End quote from Representative Mike Kelly. Jimmy, I wish every member of Congress would talk about the OZ program like Mike Kelly has. Yeah, uh, Mike Kelly has been a huge champion of the program since the very beginning. It's great to see him take the lead on this here. Uh, when when this legislation got introduced during this session of Congress uh, back last fall, Andy, you know, it got introduced through the House Ways and Means Committee. Um, and Representative Kelly is a is a is a uh, important member of that committee. Um, and he is the chairman of the subcommittee, uh, subcommittee on, on tax policy. So, uh, it, all of this, by the way, Andy is part of a, like you mentioned before, multi-month, multi-year effort to not just, uh, espouse the virtues of opportunity zones, but in fact of the entire tax cuts and jobs act, a lot of his speech was about opportunity zones, but within the broader context of uh, President Trump's Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that were enacted uh, at the end of 2017, a lot of the provisions within that TCJA are actually expiring at the end of 2025. Now, some of them, some of the provisions of that TCJA don't expire until the end of 2026. And Opportunity Zones is one of those many provisions that has that 2026 end date. This is why I think, Andy, by the way, that probably 2025 is a more likely target for opportunity zones and a number of other provisions of the tax cuts and jobs act uh to 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 finally get uh reformed and extended some of them might be made permanent or at least ex extended for a year or two um opportunity zones hopefully become one of those provisions within the TCJA that are extended for a, at least a couple of years hopefully by the end of next year so Maybe about 23, 23 and a half months from today, Andy, is when I think um, it's probably most likely we'll see something like that go through. And that would that would renew not just Opportunity Zones, but a number of provisions within the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We don't have time to dissect all of those today, uh, but Opportunity Zones, uh, a small part of that, Andy. Yeah, Jimmy, you know, if I could just, you know, complain for a minute, uh, it's Please. just annoying that Congress leaves everything to the last minute. I mean, to your point, we, we are believers that this will be reformed and extended, that the OZ program will go on, be made permanent or at least, you know, indefinite and, you know, renewed again and again. It's unfortunate the way that our legislative body works that a lot of these things get left to the last minute. And then you have the leverage and the ur sense of urgency, you know, to to get the vote and to to to, to whip the vote, you know, to, to pass the legislation. Um, and I'm just not very patient, you know, I'm like, I, I want it to be <laughs> extended now, but one question I had for you, because you're more plugged into, uh, you know, the, the political drama around this program and some of the key players on Capitol Hill, who are the major, you know, who's like my top 10, who's my short list of senators and house representatives that are real champions of the OZ program, like our, our top allies on Capitol Hill. Who are they? Uh, on the Senate side, there's really two main champions of the program that have been champions of the program since before the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was 
enacted. I mean, we're going all the way back to 2015, and that would be Senator Cory Booker, Democrat from New Jersey, and Senator Tim Scott, Republican from South Carolina. Those are two senators that have really been driving this forward on the Senate side. On the on the House side, um, Representative Mike Kelly, uh, the main proponent of of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, um, excuse me, and now of the of the uh, newly reintroduced Opportunity Zones Improvement Transparency and Extension Act. Um, I'm just kind of zooming into this article that I wrote on this uh, legislation that was introduced last fall, Andy. You can see the co-sponsors here are Representatives Mike Kelly, which we were just talking about. He had that speech at the House Ways and Means Committee last month. But in addition to Senator Kelly, also on the Republican side is Carol Miller. And then on the Democrat side are Daniel Kildee and Terry Sewell. Terry Sewell, by the way, um, I would say has probably been the strongest advocate um, among Democrats on the House side. She absolutely loves Opportunity Zone. She's been a very influential leader and supporter of Opportunity Zones on the House side. Um, this article, and Michigan, way, Jimmy, sorry to interject. I have to give a little rah-rah for Michigan. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of noticing sure. that those, um, at least in the House, those two states, you know, Michigan and Alabama, you know, those are not uh, deep blue states or anything, right? So it's it's maybe a little bit more of these kind of center-left, centrist-leaning districts, even if they're blue districts, where these representatives are maybe more comfortable really championing the OZ program? Oh, that might, there might be something to it. Let's see. Who else is on here, though? Um, Andy, let's see. Like these I, are, don't these see some... I don't see the squad represented. No, the squad, I don't think the squad's coming out and supporting <laughs> this. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's more of... It really does... This type of program really does appeal more to to the center, I think, and, and can kind of draw from both the left and the right, but might not yeah. quite um, attract in fringe members from either party. Um, I, I would say, let's see, there were some additional co-sponsors that were added to the bill in November um, that included Nicole Maliotakis, Republican from New York, Guy Rentschler from um, Pennsylvania, uh, Jefferson Van Drew from New Jersey, and Vern Buchanan from Florida. So those are all Republicans. By the way, when they initially introduced the OZ legislation uh, back in 2015, 16, 17, those years before it was enacted, as part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act in 2017, um, they brought him in two by two, just like Noah's Ark. <laughs> they, they brought in, yeah, uh, well, they yeah. had to bring in a Republican and a Democrat just to make sure, just to drive the point home that this truly was a bipartisan effort. And, and it still is bipartisan, Jimmy, but it's, it's not 50-50 at least in terms of numbers. And uh, I'm always on dangerous ground when I opine or theorize, you know, but, but, one does wonder, you know, if on the Democrat side, if if there's a concern that, you know, we don't want to champion anything that was uh, signed into law by Trump or that is related to Trump. We don't want to call anything related to Donald Trump's presidency a success in any way, shape or form, regardless of what we might think about the underlying philosophy of the program or whatever, because that kind of gives Trump a win. And that's the last thing that we might want to do. Right. So I, I think there may be that kind of element in 2024 that wasn't there maybe when this was initially. I, I, I think there is some truth to that, Andy. And <clears throat> the fact of the matter is, although 
the opportunity zone legislation had broad bipartisan support. Once uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act landed on everyone's desk uh, to vote on, it was split along party lines. Zero Democrats voted for it. All of the Republicans voted for it. It's a very Republican tax bill that was passed. Now, the one provision in it that we all love and talk about <laughs> every week and every month with you, Andy, Opportunity Zones, that does hold a lot of bipartisan support. But it is... It well, I love the whole... I think I love the whole act, Jimmy, or almost all of it, just for the record. I, I like the whole thing, but especially relevant to this show, Opportunity Zone. Ab absolutely, Andy. And... um. And, you know, a lot of these Republican members of Congress are pushing to to get the whole thing or at least much of the whole thing renewed prior to the end of 2025. Opportunity Zones, one small part of that, big part of it for for you and me and our 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 listeners, our audience, Andy. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, it's a it's a relatively small chip on the table, all else being equal. Well, let's let's all just a couple notes, then we can move on to our next story. Uh, one is I did just bring up the current list of co-sponsors because oh. we had one more added another Republican in, in, in December, but yeah, right now we're sitting at just two Democrat co-sponsors and seven Republican co-sponsors. Well, but, but at least it's still bipartisan. So it that's is. something and, and, and Mike, you know, Mike Kelly, who is, um, well, first of all, the house ways and means committee, it's a very powerful committee in Congress. You know, if, if you're, if you're into politics or into, you know, watching legislation get introduced and negotiate. That's a very powerful committee and the subcommittee on tax. That's a powerful subcommittee. So he's a very, you know, key person, a, a, a powerful representative to be championing this. And another tip of the cap would be Senator Booker, you know, um, kind of to, to what we were discussing. It's, it's probably a little less politically popular to champion this right now. Uh, on the Democrat side of the aisle. So the fact that Senator Booker is still, you know, championing this legislation and is still, you know, sort of on our side as Opportunity Zone advocates, that's no small thing. Like he's an important ally in the Senate. So, and sometimes, you know, the Senate, um, it works a little differently than the House in the sense that obviously the House can be a little more chaotic seeming sometimes, but, but with the caucuses, but but also, um, I think some senators are a little bit more willing to be independent. You know, they, they aren't running for re-election every two years. They uh, sometimes are a little bit more willing to stake out their own ground in opposition to their parties. But, but either way, I think Senator Booker's support is, is huge. And, you know, fingers crossed that we can make a push over the next 23 and a half months, to your point, Jimmy, and get as many bipartisan supporters on both sides of the aisle behind this and talking about it. Because the fact that it is successful, it has been successful. There have been numerous, literally hundreds of successful projects already behind us. And we have mountains and mountains of data to prove it that we've covered on this program. That's the thing we need to be saying over and over, right? Because I think that's what really convinces people at the end of the day. Any That's right. Words, Jimmy? Well, just one one closing thought is the the probably the key member of the Senate that needs to be swayed toward uh, our side. Oh no, is, no! I know is it would be Ron Wyden. Um, he hates Democrat, us. He hates OZ. Democrat from Oregon. Well, the problem is though he is the chairman of the yeah. uh, finance committee, so it'd be very key pickup to add him. Um, otherwise, hey, do, you know, do we have any listeners in, in Oregon? Because, you know, uh, uh, a letter or phone call 
from a constituent is weighted a lot more heavily than just a bunch of randos from all over the country. So if you're Absolutely. a listener or viewer in Oregon, like please, by all means, send a letter or just get on the phone. Pick up the um, phone. Talk to Senator Wyden. Tell him what you think about opportunities. <laughs> well, talk to his staff, sure. Um, moving on, Jimmy. Our third story for today is our upcoming masterclass at OZ Insiders. Uh, the masterclass is on Opportunity Zone PPMs and subscription docs. But before we talk about this class, Jimmy, for anyone, any of our listeners or viewers who aren't familiar with OZ Insiders, could you give us a brief introduction to this community? Yeah, OZ Insiders, it's our brand new Opportunity Zone mastermind community structured around Opportunity Zone professionals and executives, particularly high-performing Opportunity Zone professionals and executives and high net worth and ultra high net worth investors who want to take their opportunities on strategy to the next level. So whether you're an investor looking at deals and trying to vet them, or maybe you have your own QOF and you're trying to source deals or structure deals, maybe you're an attorney or an accountant who has a specialization within opportunity zones. Um, maybe you are a fund manager trying to raise equity from outside investors. Whoever you are within the opportunity zone space, if you're a high performing person, the one thing we all have in common is we're all trying to take the next step forward with our Opportunity Zone strategy and develop best practices within the Opportunity Zones. We have a tremendous community of several dozen Opportunity Zone uh, executives and investors now as members within our group. OZinsiders.com is the place to go to learn more about it. And, um, you know, we're, we're having a lot of fun in there. And, you know, as part of what we do, in addition to uh, our private chat group, and um, the the onboarding call that we do, we also host a monthly meeting and a monthly masterclass that goes deep on one particular topic within Opportunity Zone. So Andy, I'll turn it back over to you to talk about this month's upcoming class. Yeah, great summary, Jimmy. And I, I think you nailed it. We are a private community, and I think we're the best one uh, in the Opportunity Zone space. So this month's masterclass is being presented by Andrew Daup of Syndication Council, LLC. So Andrew is a very, very experienced and knowledgeable and friendly uh, attorney in this space, in the space of you know private investments and specifically opportunity zones. We're going to walk through, it's going to be like a workshop of how to create you know the decisions you make and the inputs needed to create opportunity zone PPM and subscription documents. I think it's going to be fun. We kind of workshopped it like a scenario that we're going to walk everybody through. So it'll be kind of a learn as we go, kind of kind of doing it in real time. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. And I also want to mention our update since our you know last last episode of this podcast. We also held our our last masterclass was on structuring OZ deals, and that was with Ashley Tyson. And these two masterclasses, to me, they're really kind of like a one-two punch because Ashley did a fantastic job of walking through the best practices to structure a deal, to set up a deal. And so it's kind of like that's that's the theory or the the uh, the groundwork, you know, the the underlying decisions you make. And then now, once you've done that, once you've structured your deal, it's time to put together the offering documents, you know, presuming that you're raising external capital. So. These these two pieces of content, I think they're just going to be fantastic to add to our library. You know, we, we hold these live, but we also record them so that anyone can view them on demand later. And I, I think this one with uh, Andrew Daup coming up this coming Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern time 
is going to be fantastic. I'm very excited for that. Any other words on this, Jimmy? Um, my only other word would be, uh, yeah, please do. If, if you're interested in joining us live on January 8th and you're not already a member of OZ Insiders, you can join today by heading to ozinsiders.com. If you join after January 8th, um, obviously you won't be able to attend live. You won't be able to interact with us, but we do record all of our master classes and they're always available to watch on demand uh, for our members only. So these are available inside of your members only dashboard after you join OZ Insiders. That's all I got, Andy, on OZ Insiders. I love it, but but I got to give my plug, you know, do attend live if you can, because mm. I, we always have very spirited discussions of just a lot of good stuff in the chat because it's just great to be in a community of people who get it, who are passionate about OZs. Speaking of being passionate for OZs, Jimmy, we have a couple tips of the cap, tip of the caps, tips of the cap. Uh, for tips of the caps, because my <laughs> cap is different than your cap. Okay, for our next two stories. So this City View is a big name, Jamie. So the headline here, City View reveals name for 378-unit Opportunity Zone project in Oakland's Brooklyn Basin. So tip of the cap to City View. Um, so they unveiled the name as Portico, and it's slated to complete in December 2023, which I guess has passed now. And the project was designed to meet LEED Silver Standards and is a premier waterfront community in Brooklyn Basin's master-planned community. The eight-story project will feature a mix of studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartments, as well as townhomes with more than 80% of the units overlooking the water. Wow, that sounds pretty sweet. Hmm. Featuring a, quote, featuring a prime waterfront location in the fast-growing Brooklyn Basin community, Portico will offer extensive amenities and easy access to everything the area has to offer, says Sean Burton, CEO of City View. We are proud to have leveraged our vertically integrated platform and extensive experience developing an opportunity zones to bring nearly 400 units of additional housing to the Bay Area. Uh, very much needed housing to the Bay Area. Jimmy, I know uh, uh, OZ Pitch Day, we always get to talk about this a little bit during the Urban Catalyst presentation that you know the Bay Area has such a shortage of housing. So this is a really cool announcement. And it's, I mean, it sounds like an awesome place to live. Yeah, absolutely, Andy. I, I brought up the Urban Catalyst uh, pitch right here. I know this is supposed to be about City View, but they're, they're kind of doing similar things in a similar area. Um, Silicon Valley, the Bay Area, it's great because of all of the jobs that that area has created with uh, the tech industry over the past 20 plus years, but they're creating jobs much, much quicker than they're able to create housing, uh, in part because of all the, the red tape um, uh, that, it, that it takes to go through to create housing in, in California, and particularly in that area of California, Andy, but um, they're managing to do it <laughs> a little bit and put a dent in both Urban Catalyst and City View and, and other developers in the area. They're, they're doing the best they can, but it's uh, it's uh, it's hard to build enough housing there um, in the Bay Area for sure, Andy. So well, this, this is great. Is pretty big dent. Yeah, and Jimmy, man, ch check this out. Uh, lower in the article, if you go down, they, there's a link to porticowaterfront.com. Okay. Check should out I click this. Should cool. I click this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, get it on screen. This uh, okay. pool and this view. Oh, yeah. I'm like, wow, I want to live in this place. Look at that. Pretty nifty. Yeah, I mean, you hear it's like right on the marina here. You got some sailboats in the background here. Yeah, it's pretty I cool. Mean, this this looks pretty nice. 
Let's let me check out the amenities real quick. These these guys might be convincing me to move to. Yeah, let's see the. Yeah, are you going to move here later today? <laughs> All right, we got a fitness space. We got the pool and spa deck. I mean, that is the outdoor the, lounge. Yeah, look at that view from the lounge. Shuffleboard. It's a pretty cool the, shuffleboard table the, there. The, I I did not know that Oakland had this um, picturesque of a waterfront. A lot of it's on water. Yeah, it's right on the bay. Today I learned. Well, they just don't know what to do with it a lot of the time, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. If, if y'all are listening to the audio version of the show uh, and so you didn't see what we just brought up on the screen, check out porticowaterfront.com to see this very impressive project. So congrats to City View. And another tip of the cap is due to Griffin Capital, who has broken ground on their multifamily development in a Maryland opportunity zone. Jimmy, how long have you known Griffin Capital? Uh, I met Kevin Shields, the Griffin Capital CEO, I want to say in 2020 or 2021, visited his office. Kind of a fun fact, he actually, his offices are in El Segundo, just like a mile from my brother's house. So I'm out there pretty frequently. And uh, Kevin was very gracious with his time early on, kind of teaching me about uh, real estate investing and and opportunity zones in general when I was kind of getting up to speed in 2020. So uh, really grateful for for the time and attention that he gave me because he's a, he's a really big player in the private equity real estate space. They've been doing it for a really long time, and um, they've they've got some big OZ funds that they've rolled out the past few years. Well, yeah, and and Jimmy, you know, to your point, Griffin Capital is a big player, which which mm-hmm. which I knew, but I I did not realize, you know, in this article, they've raised over one point five billion dollars to date yeah. across their different qualified opportunity zone funds. I did not know that they were that big of a player oh, yeah. in opportunity zone funds. That is, I mean, that well, got, ended up what is it? they got $23 billion in assets under management, right? So little, little chunk of that in its uh, QOZ program. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but this looks like uh, another cool project, you know, from the mock-ups, from the photos. Um, but just just our, our tip of the cap to Griffin Capital for this milestone and, and really for everything they've achieved to date in our space, in the OZ space. Uh, Jimmy, that brings us to our last story of the week of the month, which is Starpoint Properties. So this is another sponsor that I know that you know pretty well. Hmm. They are beginning vertical construction for Lotus Point in Mesa, Arizona. So if I could, I'll just um I'll just read a little bit from the press release to give everybody the details here. So Starpoint Properties uh announced that they are under construction on the two opportunity zone projects totaling 115 million dollars. Starpoint commenced vertical construction for two opportunity zone funds Lotus Point, a $79 million multifamily development located in Mesa, Arizona, and Point Central, a $36 million industrial development in Denver, Colorado. As a result of Starpoint's 25-year-plus track record and legacy of long-term relationships with high net worth investors, the firm was able to expediently raise the equity from a combination of existing and new investors. Yay for capital raising. Quote, as a result of the development's opportunity zone designations, our investors will realize significant tax benefits, said Starpoint CEO and founder Paul Danishrod. Danishrod? 
Danistrad, yeah, you got it. Danistrad. Let me finish with the press release here. Taylor Trotloff led the equity race for both Lotus Point and Point Central, noting that, quote, investor interest came from a mix of real estate investors who elected to do more opportunity zone projects over a 1031 exchange and tech investors and business owners who realized a capital gain. So congrats to Paul, as well as to Taylor Trotloff, our friend there over at Starpoint for another successful capital raise and now beginning vertical construction, which is always very exciting. Yeah, can't say enough good things about Taylor Trotloff, the, the effort that she's put in, the work that she's done over the past year plus at uh, at Starpoint Properties. And Andy, I think like it's really cool. Uh, you know, when I first started covering the Opportunity Zones industry in 2020, no, in uh, 2018, excuse me, um, nothing was getting built, right? Like it was all just kind of right. like pie in the sky stuff. Like there were, all, there were a lot of mock-ups and there were a lot of IRR projections, a lot of pro formas, a lot of pitch decks floating around, a lot of blind pool funds. Uh, but now here we are five and a half years later and it's like, this is under construction. That's under construction. Starpoint Properties, City View, Griffin Capital, GTIS, all this stuff is actually going ground up. A lot of these projects are getting um, started on construction or some of them are even completing construction. It's really cool to being, to, it's really cool to see a lot of these projects actually come to fruition now, five and a half years into the program. Yeah. You know, I, here in Michigan, um, we have white pines, right? They're our native tree, essentially. State used to be covered in them until they all got chopped down like 150 years ago. That's a long whole story. But anyway, to make the long story short, I planted a bunch of pine trees on our property here five or six years ago, right? And it's kind of like, uh, someday these will be big, tall trees. Well, white pines grow really fast. They grow like two feet a year. Wow. And so now I've woken up five years later and I'm like, whoa, I got some tall pine trees in my backyard, right? <laughs> so same concept here. You were, you were early into covering the OZ beat, right? But it was all drawings and, and mock-ups and plans and announcements. And now it's buildings and tenants and, and everything is, you know, a lot of these initial projects uh, have come to fruition or are coming to fruition. And uh, it's it's cool to see, right? It, it kind of makes you feel old a little bit, doesn't it, Jim? <laughs> kind of makes me feel like I'm in the right space, Andy, is how I would put it. Uh, this one in particular, <laughs> the Lotus Point one's really cool because I remember Taylor was just uh, finalizing rounding out the capital raise for this one back at, I think it was our summer OZ pitch day. I don't think they presented this one at fall because I think they had completed the uh, the fundraising and now it's it's great to see that it's under construction. Absolutely. Well, uh, we are 40 minutes into this episode approximately and Jimmy, it is time for our pick of the month. I'll let you go first. What is the story podcast, video, any piece of content that you think our audience needs to know about this month in the world uh, of opportunity. Well, zones. our my pick of the month, and maybe it's also a tip of the cap, is uh, to uh, <clears throat> to Montaday Globe uh, and my friends over there, Tess Young and Brian England. Um, they had some. Uh, they had a big development just last month, Andy. They got to present their project in front of the City of Globe's Zoning Commission, and I'm happy to report that. Their project was unanimously approved by that city council in Globe. So they're going to be able to break ground on that later this year, I believe. That was a huge step that they had to uh, get over, um, huge hurdle they had to clear, I should say. Um, one of the more interesting things that they had to do, Andy, was they had to, uh, they're trying to build above 
um, what the what the city code currently restricts. I think this is going to be a um, I can't remember if it's a, a seven or an eight story building. Forgive me, Tess and Brian. I've forgotten some of the details, but the, the building was going to be taller than the city council currently allows. So they had to request special approval there. And one of the main concerns was, wait a second, our our firefighters don't have a truck with a ladder high enough to service this building in case of an emergency. And Tess Young said, I promise if you guys approve this, I'll make sure that fire truck gets that ladder. We will finance that. We'll make sure that we pay for it if we have to. Um, so the city of Globe's getting a new fire truck uh, with a new ladder and they're getting this great new um, multifamily residential building, um, which is near and dear to my heart. I've, I've known these two individuals. I met them in the fall of 2023 in phoenix arizona not too far from globe at an opportunity zones conference um and this is a for-profit venture but they also have a non-profit arm uh that is going to be building some free residential housing for retired religious clergy uh which is really impactful and and much needed so congratulations to tess and brian for clearing that big hurdle and uh I wish you nothing but the best of luck and success. And and I've pulled up a podcast episode that I did with this group uh, back in October, Andy. Absolutely. You know, Tess is such a uh, engaging, influential, trustworthy, you know, per- impressive person. I, 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 on the one hand, you know, your recount of that meeting uh, where they got approval, it's it's kind of funny, but I'm chuckling. I'm like, yeah, I can definitely, you know, it, she just she's uh, and the team really at Monte Day, um, it's just amazing uh, their vision. And I think when people hear about it, it excites them. And you and I talked about this project when we gave our presentation on private real estate and opportunity zones to students and law students at the University of Notre Dame. And I know that. You know, it was one of we we just mentioned a couple different OZ projects, and they really the crowd there just loved it and had a bunch of questions about it. So uh, awesome to get that update. And Jimmy, on the topic of your podcast, my pick of the month is your podcast episode. Which let's see, what number was that? Episode two hundred and ninety, generating tax alpha with opportunity zones and more with Clint. Edgington, any of our, I mean, I'm guessing most of our listeners to this program already listen to your show, Jimmy, but in case they don't, um, I just want to plug it here. Jimmy's main podcast on opportunity zones, the opportunity zones podcast, it republishes OZ news hour, but the back catalog of, of all of the episodes you've published spans almost every topic that you could possibly want to talk about, know about, learn about in OZ's. And at the same time, you are constantly bringing on new guests to talk about new topics in an in-depth format. Uh, and I just love that, you know, the, the, the topics that you address and specifically with this one, you know, uh, Clint, I thought just, just his points on how to keep costs low, how to generate alpha, how to do Roth IRA conversions and just general tax efficiency type topics. I'm like, man, those are topics I just never get tired of learning more about, of hearing about, those are literally what attracted me to the Opportunity Zones program in the first place. So kudos to you, but really more to Clint for just having great insights and and bringing us another great podcast episode from your show. Yeah, Clint was great. And his main point was, hey, you can't always rely on the market to produce returns for you, but you can get returns by just heading back to the basics, keeping costs low, 
and seeking tax alpha, structuring things the right way, getting yourself in the right types of tax advantaged uh, accounts and tax advantaged wrappers. Hey, here's where opportunity zones come into play. Here's where here's where Roth IRA conversions come into play. Here's where um, every every different type of thing you can do with trusts come into play. It was a it was a pretty far ranging episode. It's, it's my most recent one from December twentieth. Uh, we were on hiatus last week for the the Christmas and New Year's holiday. This is my first uh, this is my first podcast of the new year here. The one I'm doing with you right now, Andy. Uh, but if you want to just go back one episode, that's the one with Clint, episode number two ninety, generating tax alpha with opportunity zones and more with Clint Clint Edgington. And thank you to Clint. Thanks, Andy, for the plug there. Appreciate it. Yeah, and I agree with Clint, or at least his philosophy as I interpret it. You know, the basics never get old; they never go out of style with investing, with tax efficient investing, with opportunity zones, and with real estate. And with that, Jimmy, that's it for today's show. We'll be back in one month with our next edition. Thank you for watching and listening, and Jimmy, thank you for joining me today, party hat and all. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely, Andy. Uh, a pleasure as always. Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Let's make it the best Opportunity Zones year ever. We're talking about Opportunity Zones. We're talking about Opportunity Zones.